Well, good morning. I give honor to our God, the one who is indeed worthy of all praise, and I magnify Him, our eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm thankful to be back with you, brothers and sisters. I, of course, miss seeing Gary and Linda. I'm thankful for God's goodness to him and his progress. Trust that will be blessed to continue as uh, he is rehab, but we're thankful to see each of you that are here this morning and grateful for uh, your kindness to me to come and be with you in the Sundays we have. Is that when that Brother Kevin mentioned uh, a year ago, two weeks, uh, we were with you right about March 15th when things started showering down with this uh, COVID business and I thought the shower would let up by now and <laughs> continue to pour, it seems, but at least in, in a manufactured way, I don't know. I, I'm glad, though, that God's been good to us. I'm glad for those of you who had it that came through it so well, and as well for God sparing those of us who haven't had it. I'd ask you to turn with me this morning to the book of Judges. Sometime back, uh, I can't remember which Sunday it was we were with you, we looked at the opening part of the book of Judges a little bit in thinking about uh, the theme of repentance. And I've been reading again through Judges in one of the tracts of Bible reading that I follow and uh, read the latter, read, as I read through it, uh, these words of chapter 17 and 18 really were on my mind and I'd like for us to spend our time in the Sunday school hour this morning looking at them together. And as we do, may the Lord use it in a way to help us. The, the chapters are unusual. Uh, Judges is an unusual book. As we looked at it when we were with you the last time, we kind of noticed how in that introduction, you could call it the prologue or preface to the book of Judges, there is a, a basically a summary of what's going to be told in most of the book of how Israel departed from the Lord, then God brought judgment or chastening through a foreign nation, and then as that happened, they would cry out to God and God would raise up a deliverer. And that's kind of the pattern that marks Judges up until the end of chapter 16. And then in chapter 17 through 21, there's what we could call an epilogue. It's not a postscript, but in some measure it outlines for us something of what marked the life, the character of Israel during the time of the Judges. It's two episodes really, chapter 17 and 18 that we look at this morning, Lord willing, and then chapters 19 through 21. Both of them are, in, are, are incidents that are sad. Uh, the latter one, 19 to 21, uh, tells about the near extinction of the tribe of Benjamin. It's a, it's a sad saga in Israel's history. But it shows the fallout when a nation chooses to forget God. And I guess as I read these words, for some reason they kept echoing in my mind about our present situation as a country. Now I realize we are not Israel and God hasn't covenanted with us like He did with Israel in an in a ethnic way. And yet at the same time, God's Word always have, have, has application. So I'd like for us just to think together about these things. And as we do, let's just read it. This is a little bit of a long reading, but there's no harm in reading God's Word, is there? Let's start at chapter 17, verse 1. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. 
And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears, Behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my son. And when he had restored the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money to his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. So the, so the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in, for unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. And the children of Dan sent their family, uh, sent of their family, excuse me, five men from their coast, men of valor from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go, search the land. Who, when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee, of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto him, Go in peace, before the Lord is your way, wherein ye go. Then the five men departed and came to Laish, and saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure, and there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything. And they were far from the Sidonians, and they had and had no business with any man. They came unto their brethren, that is the Danites, these five men. They came unto their brethren, to Zorah and Eshtol. And their brethren said unto them, What say ye? And they said, Arise, that we may go up against them. For we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And are ye still? Be not slothful to go and to enter to possess the land. When ye go, ye shall come into a people secure, into a large land. For God hath given it into your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. And there went from thence of the family of the Danites, out of Zorah and out of Eshtol, six hundred men appointed with weapons of war. And they went up and pitched in Kerjath-Jearim, in 
Judah. Wherefore they called that place Mahanadan, which means the camp of Dan, unto this day. Behold, it is behind Kirjathjearim. And they passed thence unto Mount Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then answered the five men that went to spout the country of Laish, and said unto their brethren, Do ye know that there is in these houses an ephod and teraphim, and a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore consider what ye have to do. And they turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even into the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the six hundred men appointed with their weapons of war, which were the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the six hundred men that were appointed with weapons for, with, of war. And these went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, What do ye? And they said unto him, Hold thy peace. Lay thine hand upon thy mouth and go with us. And be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for thee to be priest, to be a priest unto the house of one man, or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. So they turned and departed and put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they cried unto the children of Dan, and they turned their faces and said unto Micah, What aileth thee that thou comest with such a company? And he said, Ye have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest, and you are gone away, and what have I more? And what is it that ye say unto me, What aileth thee? And the children of Dan said unto him, Let not thy voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon thee, and thou lose thy life with the lives of thy household. And the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back into his house. And they took the things which Micah had made, and the priests which he had, and came into Laish unto a people that were quiet and secure, and they smote them with the edge of the sword, and burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Zidon and they had no business with any man and it was in the valley that lieth by Beth Rehob. And they built a city and dwelt there. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of their father, of Dan their father, excuse me, who was born unto Israel. Howbeit the name of the city was Laish at first. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan the son of Gershon the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set up Micah's graven image which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Now, we're going to pray in just a minute, but chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Judges are somewhat of a strange portion. And you might wonder, why in the world did you choose this for some Sunday school class? Well, I hope that when we finish, we won't dig all we want to out of this, but I hope when we finish, maybe we'll see why. Because I think there are warnings here that point to us how extremely religious people can be, and yet be as far from God as one can be. And uh, we want to think about that as it unfolds. And there's a bit of a comic aspect to this. But there's also a very tragic aspect to this portion.
Let's pray and ask our God to bless His Word. Father, we ask You in the name of the Lord Jesus that You would cleanse us afresh and You would, by Your Spirit, animate our minds, Father, and our hearts that we could look at Your Word and we could see something of what You have given to us here that we might benefit from it. Father, we pray You'd bless our land. We appeal to You on behalf of these United States, Father, that You might graciously turn us and, Lord, be merciful in these days. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, by way of a title, I'd like to give you this. The State of the Union Distress. Now, we know the State of the Union Address often given by presidents at the beginning of, this, of the calendar year. Well, in this case, we see the State of the Union, but it's distress. But I think you could add another title to this, to these chapters, and that is When Religion Goes Crazy. When religion goes crazy, because that's what's happening here. As we think about it, this is part of the book of Judges, and there's a refrain, many of you will remember the book of Judges. It's already occurred twice in what we've read. Chapter 17, verse 6, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Again, that's 17.6. But then chapter 18.1 begins, In those days there was no king in Israel. And then if you'll look also in chapter 19, verse 1, we read, and, in, and it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite, and so on. And then in chapter 21, verse 25, the words that end the book of Judges, we read this, In those days there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Same words that we read back there in 17.6. That's the refrain that marks this portion of the book of Judges and in some way stands as a capstone to the book of Judges. And, and, and as it were, it, it gives that desire that the writer of the book felt for a king who could rule and govern and guide God's people as they needed to be led. Now, that may have been written even during David's time. Some believe that. The book was written by one of the prophets in the days of David when David was still ruling at Hebron in those early years of his reign. could have been written before that in Saul's day or even before that in the time between uh, Samuel and Eli maybe. We don't, we don't know for sure, but there's that heart cry for a king, but above all for God's king. And, and, and in, the, in the refrain... That suggests the desire for that. But also, within the book of Judges, I'd remind you that in the Hebrew order of the books of the Bible, they have the same books that we do, but the order is different. The order is what is called the Torah, the law, and then the Nevi'im, the prophets, and then the writings. The, the Nevi'im, the prophets, basically is Joshua the second king's Minus Ruth, that's in the writings, the third section. And then Isaiah to Malachi, minus Lamentations and Daniel, they're also in the writings. Those were the prophets. And as we think about it, we don't usually connect Joshua to Second Kings with the prophets. We connect them with what we call the historical books in our English Bible. But the reason in some measure they're called the prophets is because as God gives the history of His people... He is showing against the background of the covenant, the law, how Israel is failing. 
And that's what we see in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But God is pointed it out by preaching. But in Judges through 2 Kings, He's pointed it out by history. And as we take the law that God gave to Israel and use that as the plumb line, then we see what the prophetic message is in those historical books that are in the Hebrew canon, prophets. The former or earlier prophets, they call them. Now, that in view, we can see a whole lot at work in chapter 17 and 18. For the prophet's purpose was not only to announce the coming of God's Redeemer, the coming of the seed of the woman, the king, there was also that purpose to enforce the covenant. What God had given through Moses, through a line of prophets like unto Moses, and the ultimate one who would be greater than Moses, God enforced His covenant on Israel. You see, it's not enough that I have the Word of God. I need the Word of God to be pressed on me. That Terry didn't yell amen too loudly. I see her shaking her head though, but I hope she's thinking about herself. You know. But I need the Word of God to be enforced on me. I, I need God's Word not only to be given to me, but I need, and this is what the prophets did, they brought Israel face to face and said, here's the mirror, look in it. And the mirror is the mirror of God's Word. And that, in effect, is what Judges 17 and 18 is doing in a country, a nation of people who had God speak to them out of the cloud and out of the fire, and yet they forgot God. And they turned. And they followed other gods. And that's really what we have a statement of. And it's interesting that in chapter 17 and 18 of these two episodes in the epilogue of Judges, we have idolatry first, and then we have gross immorality in the second. Why? Because idolatry, forgetting God, leads to immorality, forgetting that I'm made in the image of God. You see, if I'm not rightly related to Him... I'm not going to be rightly related to my fellow image bearers. And that's the fallout of what we see in chapters 19 through 21. Chapters 17 and 18, as it were, show how the two are integrated and interconnected. And we forget that sometimes. We wonder why the world's breaking down. Why this country? Why so many shootings? Well, we know it's guns. We outlaw the guns and we'll stop the shootings. No, more people die with knives than die with guns. It's not the guns, it's not the knives, it's the people who are using them. And what's happened? When people forget God, we forget that you're made in the image of God. And so, if I blow you away, no loss to me, we don't realize it is. Why? Because idolatry leads to immorality. Forgetting God leads to forgetting who we are and what God has made us to be. Representatives of Him on earth. So that that's something we see with the connection there. Now, having said that, let me ask you to turn, keep your place and turn real quick to summarize what we just said in Jeremiah 2.13. I should have had you read this first and then summarize, but in Jeremiah chapter 2, notice please what Jeremiah said, and we'll read verse 12 as well, but verse 13, did I say chapter 12 or chapter 2? That's right. Chapter 2, and then notice verse 12, but verse 13 particularly is a good summary of what we see going on in Judges chapter 17 and 18. Jeremiah 2 again, verse 12. 
Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. Why? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Those words well describe what's going on in Judges 17 and 18. And brothers and sisters, they well describe what's going on in these United States. We have a heritage and a stock, a capital of biblical truth that as a nation we have forgotten. And in forgetting that, we're forsaking the fountain of living waters, but we're also hewing out cisterns. Now, a cistern is supposed to collect and gather rainwater, but we're hewing out cisterns, and a broken cistern is going to collect what? Nothing but dust. We're collecting the dust and we're drinking the dust in our society and we're saying, boy, this is good. (coughs) This tastes good. You ought to try this. This will satisfy. Why are we doing that? Because we've left the fountain of living waters. And that's what's happening in Judges 17 and 18. They've left the living God who's the fountain of living waters. Mick Jagger wasn't lying when he said, I can't get no satisfaction. I know he had one thing in mind, but but man will never be satisfied if he's not drinking from the right fountain. The fountain of living waters. When you're drinking from broken cisterns, no satisfaction. That's why Augustine said, you remember in his confessions, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless till we find our rest in Thee. Only in Him. And Judges 17 and 18 is given to us to, to prove that, to confirm that, to validate that, as so many other places in God's Word do as well. So, God says this, they've committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed them out cisterns. They've made cisterns. And that's exactly what's going to happen in Judges 17. They're going to make them some gods. And guess what happens to gods you make? Well, they can be taken from you. And that's what happens in chapter... Again, it's comic, and yet it's tragic. Let's follow it through a little. Let's go back to Judges 17, and we'll try to lift a few things. It begins with the man of Mount Ephraim, the hill country of Ephraim, whose name is Micah. That's in chapter 17, verse 1. What's interesting about Micah's name is this. Mikayahu in Hebrew. It means... Who is like Jehovah? It's a question. Who is like Jehovah? And the answer to that is no one else. He's in a class by himself. And I say that reverently. I say it almost fearfully because he's not in a class. You got to understand what I mean though? He's incomparable. He's the I Am. That's what his name Jehovah means. Yahweh. I am that I am. He's the God of self-being. He's the God of self-determined existence. He, nobody pulls the strings and tells Him. He's the God of self-determined grace. Everything about Him that, that, that He has lies inherent in Himself. He's not dependent on us. I love the way Brother Watts put it in one of his hymns. He sits on no precarious throne, nor borrows leave to be. He doesn't ask my permission to exist. But I'll tell you this, I am because He is. He could say I am because I am. But I have to say and so do you, I am because He is.
So this man, Micah's name means who is like Jehovah, who is like Yahweh, the God of Israel, the I Am. And yet his name is such a, or excuse me, his life is such a discredit to his name. And you notice as we've read what happened. He tells his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were stolen, you cursed. I heard you curse. She probably did. May the Lord curse whoever stole that money. He said, I took it, Mom. And she said, Blessed be thou, the Lord. Talk about flip-flop, you know. And then she says, He gave us the money back. She says, I've wholly dedicated that money to the Lord, son, for to make an idol for you. Now, does that make sense? I dedicated it to Jehovah to make an idol. And I dedicated it for you because I, I wanted you to have a, I wanted to be sure you had a God you could worship. I wanted to be sure you had a God you made that you could worship. Well, again, the prophets are enforcing the covenant. And if you will, go back with me to Deuteronomy and see what God said about this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And then, this is, this is the preface God gives to the restatement of the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. And we want to notice something there too. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, notice what God said in verses 12 through 14. Mo, uh, 19, excuse me. Moses is speaking here, but as he speaks, he reminds Israel of the mount there at Sinai when God came down. Let's pick up at verse 12. We read there Moses' words in Deuteronomy 4, And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice, and He, that is the Lord, declared unto you His covenant, which He commanded you perform, even ten commandments, and He wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it. Now notice verse 15. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Why should you take good heed? Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth, and lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided into all nations under the whole heaven. In other words, God gives a strict particular warning against idolatry. He says, you saw no similitude. You saw no likeness. And yet, what are these people involved in doing? I wholly dedicated this money to the Lord so that you could make you a lit image. And that you could have you a God, my son. Now let's go back to Judges. Well, I said Deuteronomy 5. Let me just read there too. Because there we have the restatement of what we just read in chapter 4. In the Ten Commandments as God restates them in Deuteronomy 5. He had originally stated them in Exodus chapter 20. But in verses 6 and following of uh, 
Exodus of Deuteronomy 5, we read, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Here again, God restates it. No image, no graven image. And yet that's the very thing that Micah and his mother are engaged in doing. As we go back to Judges 17, notice verse 3 and verse 4. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money to his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. Now notice what she said. I had wholly dedicated what? 1,100 shekels. How much did she invest to put make her God? 200. That leaves 900. I wonder what she did with the rest. Grocery money. I don't, but the point I make is the, the, the idolatry of the woman leads to something else. Dishonesty. In other words, she, she says, I, I, I put all that money aside for the Lord's use. And yet, it wasn't the Lord's use because she's going to make an idol out of it. And if she's making the idol out of it, she doesn't even give it all. And she makes this molten image, this graven image, again, which God had expressly forbidden His people to do. Religion can get crazy. Religion can, religion can drive you crazy. I believe that's what we got, a woman who's touched, as we say in the south up here. And Micah's going to get touched too. Let's follow on though if we could. Verse 5 gives us this detail. And the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Micah, chapter 17, verse 6 of Judges, Micah has no business consecrating a priest. Especially his son. God had appointed the priest for Israel. Who was it? Of the line of Aaron within the tribe of Levi. They were specially set apart by God to be priests. And yet here's a man who, well, you think about it. If he's going to make a God for himself, I guess he may as well make a priest for himself too. But that's what a lot of people have done today, isn't it? They've thought, I'll go to God any way I please. I remember a man who used to close his broadcast on the radio saying this, men may go to hell any way they choose. If they go to heaven, they'll go God's way. That's so. And here we see this man who is engaged in this kind of subterfuge for his soul. You know, it's alright to play hide and seek with your child, but it's not good to play hide and seek with your soul. And, and that's what he's doing in effect. And, and, and we have the editorial comment about it in verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 
And now the, the story thickens. Micah's got his house of gods. His name means who is like Jehovah, but he's got a house of gods with this silver that's been used to make a molten image and a graven image. And now we read about this young man from Bethlehem, not of Judah, but a Levite. And he's apparently fallen on hard times in Bethlehem. It may have been the same famine that hit the land in the time of, of uh, Elimelech and Naomi. We don't know, but could be. For some reason, though, he's on the move. And he's looking to find a place to live. And he stumbles on Micah. And as Micah speaks to him in verse 9, he says, Which came this down? And he said, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah. And I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah got a great idea. You see, he's setting his own rules for his religion. Brothers and sisters, we do well to remember that true religion is governed by God's Word. True religion is governed by the book. I don't write my own rules. A lot of people do, granted, but that's not what we're to do. And, and, and so, Micah has a great idea. This guy's a Levite. Notice his words, verse nine, excuse, verse 10. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. They've worked out an agreement. Well, they've signed the contract now. And if you'll notice later in verse 4 of chapter 18, when the men from Dan who recognize his voice ask him, what are you doing here? He says, well, Micah's hired me and I'm his priest. I can imagine the strut he had in, you know, plucked out his lapel that I'm his priest. And Micah consecrates him. But again, Micah had no authority to do that. The Levites were not the priests. Now, some Levites were priests within the line of Aaron, but the Levites' job, according to number 16, was to, was to assist the priests of the line of Aaron. That was their responsibility. They were given the job of labor or service in the book of Numbers, it makes clear. And in number 16, some of you remember that incident where some from the tribe of Reuben, but also Korah, from among the Levites, rises up against Moses and Aaron and says, you take too much on yourselves. All the people are holy. And Moses said, tomorrow God will show whom He's chosen to approach Him. You bring censors. And you show. You bring those censors and God will show. Well, they brought their censors. And you remember what happened? They were struck dead. And Korah, his family, they were gathered into hell. Why? Because they refused God's appointed priest. And appoint, they, they felt they were worthy to be. Well, you see, the matter of priesthood is God's appointment. And in Aaron, God was showing His people Israel, you don't come to me on your own terms. You come to me through a mediator and through sacrifice. And Aaron ultimately was pointing ahead to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice that they offered was pointed ahead to Him who is the Lamb of God that John the Baptist pointed out on the banks of Jordan. And here, they just basically shove that off the table and say, no, we're going to do it our way. And notice what Micah says, says in verse 13. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. I can just see him now. Religion's gone crazy and he's smiling big and said, Boy, I know God's going to bless me now. 
Watch out. Things aren't always what they seem nor appear. Well, the plot thickens as we go on to chapter 18 and some Danites. The Danites had the western part of the inheritance above Judah and to the west of the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, kind of central Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean. Now part of the problem with their territory is they had no hill country. You see, iron chariots like the Canaanites had can't maneuver as well in hill country. But there on the plains of the coastland, they had good maneuverability. And so Dan hadn't been able to conquer like they'd want. Plus, you also had the added fact that just south of the Danites were the Philistines. And the Philistines were pretty good warriors. They were the sea peoples who had invaded from probably Crete, Captor, it's called in the Bible, and they'd come in and they started to move against Israel. And of course, even in the time of David, they were still fighting against Israel. Saul's reign as well. Goliath was a Philistine that David slew. Now, the, 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 the Danites, because of the heat, they had failed to conquer their territory. They weren't alone. Judges tells earlier about how many of the tribes failed to follow through on their conquest and exterminate the peoples they were told to exterminate. And as a result, they failed because they compromised. They failed because they failed to deal with sin. Ouch! That sounds familiar, doesn't it? So often, I fail. Why? Because I didn't do what Marty said. Nip it in the bud! We like to take our sin like the little baby and coddle it. You sweet little baby, you. And we ought to put the gun to the head of it and pull the trigger. Why? Because sin, brothers and sisters, needs to be put to death. And that's what Israel's failing to do. And so the Danites, they say, well, we've got to find some other territory to live in. On their trek to find out that new homeland, they hear the voice of this Levite. And they recognize him. And so they ask him, verse 3, if you'll notice the middle part, Who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? And he said unto them, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, Thus and thus dealeth Michael with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee, of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace, before the Lord is your way wherein you go. Now notice something that's interesting. It may have been, but it's not stated. He doesn't ask of the Lord. He just says, Go in peace. <laughs> right, Paul? <laughs> Probably threw a little holy water on it too, you know. Before the Lord is your way wherein you go. Sounds like one of these prosperity preachers today, isn't it? Telling an audience of people by television, he doesn't know if they know God or not. God's going to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God's going to give you health and wealth. By the way, be sure and send in your offering. (laughs) They want you to plant a seed of faith, but they always want you to plant it in their garden. Have you noticed that? And that's in effect what Micah's saying. Go ahead and prosper. The false prophets of the king Ahab told him the same thing before he went up and lost his life at Ramoth Gilead. Go up and prosper. There are a lot of people who will tell you to prosper when religion goes crazy. They won't tell you, break off from your sin 
And life's not always going to be easy. I remember years ago when I was a young believer, I heard a song on the Southern Gospel Radio. I don't think it had a nickel's worth of gospel in it. How life used to be so bad before I saved, but said now it's sunshine and roses. Is that how your life's been since you know the Lord? Judy, is that how your life's been, sunshine and roses? You had a few four thorns, if it is, hadn't you? Some clouds as well. Life is not always sunshine and roses. But that's what some of these people want us to believe. Like, there's no trials. What? I, I beg to differ. The Bible says, through much tribulation will enter the kingdom of God. I wish it weren't so. Like, like Mark Twain said about being tarred and feathered, he said, if it wasn't for the honor and dignity of the thing, I'd just soon walked out of town. <laughs> well, you know, if I had my druthers, I wouldn't choose it. The trials are part of this life in a world under sin. But that message, wealth, health, prosperity, Cadillacs and condominiums, boy, that has a draw. I mean, over in Africa, that prosperity gospel is making headway. Why? Because it appeals to the flesh. And when you can have God on your own terms like these people have, making a graven image, making an old molten image, making whoever they want to to be their priest. When you've got God on those terms, well then you can make whatever you want to out of life, you think. It don't work that way though. But that's what they're doing. So, we see then the, the pronouncement of, of Micah. And uh, we move on a little more quickly now, brothers and sisters. The, the, the Danites go out and they spy out this land which is well north, almost toward Mount Hermon. Uh, Dan becomes known later as a center of false worship under King Jeroboam I when he breaks away from the Davidic dynasty in Judah. They talk In the Bible they talk about from Dan to Beersheba. Beersheba is the extreme south of Judah, Dan the far north. That's where this city Laish is that these five men who are on their scouting expedition, that's where they find out. They say, boy, this land is nice. Beth Rehob is the city that's near. Rehob means large space, wide space. And it was a large valley, probably a, a beautiful meta land, you know, and they thought, boy, this is it. And they go back and they tell their Danites. And so 600 men of the Danites, they pull away with their families, start move their household, stop overnight at Kerjef Jearim, that's city of the woods basically in, in Judah. And it becomes known as Mahane Dan, Camp of Dan, because they stopped overnight there. <laughs> they started a KO campground, KOA campground there, I guess. Mahane Dan. But... They went on and they stopped by here in the hill country of Ephraim. And those five scouts said, Men, here's where this priest, Levite, gave us counsel about God prospering our way. And the man that he works for has a household of gods. You consider what you ought to do. And so these 600 armed men, they're packing, you know. These 600 armed men... They stay outside while the five men go in and start emptying the house. And the priest looks at them and says, What are you doing? And they say, Hush your mouth. Would you rather be a priest to a one family or a priest to a tribe? And all of a sudden that ego gets struck. The one who said, Man, I'm a priest. I've been hired. 
He said, now I'm going to be a priest to a whole tribe. Kind of like the little boy, you know, the man went to visit the parsonage one day and the little boy, uh, he asked the little boy, he said, where's your daddy? He said, he's upstairs praying about a bigger church, they called it. He said, well, where's your mama? He said, she's downstairs packing. <laughs> you see, this priest who was sold himself for ten shekels and a shirt, this priest had now got a larger call. I'm going to a larger ministry. Yes, the Lord has opened great things for me. He smiled on me. No, He hadn't. No, you're still an idolater. And so what happens? Well, it's interesting. We're covering over a little bit smoothly. They take the area. They they basically seize Laish and Dan becomes the new name of the city. They take that meta land, that beautiful valley. But then we read this in verses 30 and 31, the end of the chapter 18 in Judges. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. Now, we're not sure if that's the captivity that took place when the Philistines destroyed Shiloh, this mentioned in verse 31, or if it's the Assyrian captivity that later took place. But notice verse 31, And they set them up, Micah's graven image, which he made, all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Now, notice what it says, the graven image which he made, not as God, but his graven image. And that's what, by the way, Micah, remember when he protested to the Danites when they stole his God, you've taken my gods, what else do I have? But he says, you've taken my gods, which I made. Now any God you made ain't no God. Count on it. And, and, And that's what the Bible says when the Danites leave in verse 27, and they took the things which Micah had made. Don't even call them gods there. They took the things which... That's what religion does. Religion. It's kind of like, you remember in the book that follows Judges, 1 Samuel, when they they took the ark of God into the temple of uh, Dagon. And you remember when the priest came back the next morning, Dagon had fallen over, and they had to prop their God back up. He couldn't get up by himself. You know, he had to say, help me. No, he couldn't say because he didn't have a mouth. Now, we had a mouth, but they couldn't speak like Psalm 115 said. Help me, I'm falling and I can't get up. They had to prop him up. That's what you have to do with false religion. you got to prop your God up because he can't stand up by himself. Thank God that's not our God. Thank God our God is a God who's God all by himself. He doesn't need me to prop him up. I'll tell you this, he's propping me up, though. Hallelujah. I'm leaning on Jesus. So anyway, we read about this false place of worship up there in the far north of Israel, Dan. But here's the thing that's interesting. Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, is the priest. But in the King James margin, you'll find this. Another reading is Moses for Manasseh. Another reading is Moses. You see, Moses, you remember, Exodus tells us in chapter 2 and also in chapter 18, that Moses had a son named Gershom. 
Because the Gershom means a stranger there. And that's what Moses was in Midian when Gershom was born. He was a stranger there, so he called his first son Gershom. Second, he called Eliezer. My God has been my help. But Gershom, that's Moses' son. And this Jonathan is the son of Gershom. And Manasseh is one of the readings, but in the Hebrew text there's what is called a suspended or a raised noon over Moshe, which is the word for Moses. And it's Manasseh. And some believe that the scribes put that noon, the end there, to save Moses' reputation. Now later, the son of Gershom in First Chronicles is called Shubael. Shuv is the Hebrew word for turn or repent. El is God. It appears maybe Jonathan turned to God and repented. I hope that's right. I can't tell you for sure, but that's what some believe. I think Mr. Gill and others. But the thing I point out is this would have really been something if this Jonathan is indeed the grandson of Moses. Because you see, salvation and grace don't flow in the bloodline. Well, I'm sorry, they do flow in the bloodline, but not the physical bloodline. They flow in the blood, they flow in Calvary line. Amen? They don't flow from David Morris' bloodline, Terry Morris' bloodline. They don't. It flows by God's sovereign grace. And Moses, brothers and sisters, lamented over Israel as God did. Oh, that there were a heart in them. And what we have here then is with Israel, an evidence of the fact that they were indeed, as Deuteronomy 32, God said of them, they were a crooked and perverse generation. And God said about them in Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, their spot is not the spot of His children. Why? Because they had not been given a new heart as yet by God. I believe one day they will be. But, they stood in need of what Deuteronomy 30 calls a circumcision of the heart. They're called to do it in Deuteronomy 10. God says, circumcise, therefore your heart. Jeremiah said the same thing in Jeremiah 4.4. 4, circumcise your heart. But, while we're responsible to do it, we're unable to do it. Men are called to repent. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. But, men can't do it. I'm to be honest and say repent. But I know this, if they do it, it's because God gave grace and repentance. They're told, circumcise your heart, but can't do it. Don't tell me that's not fair either. Because God, God's right. He's not always fair. If He's fair, His Son would have never went to the cross for us if He was fair. But thank God He's not fair, but He's always right. Thank God He gave that darling of heaven to die for a worm like David Morris. Thank God. Deserved His wrath. Deserved His judgment. But He gave His Son to die for me. I bless His name. Brothers and sisters, as we close this morning, the need of Israel is the same need of these United States, really. We see religion going crazy and false religion abounding. These United States need the living God. And ultimately what the message of Judges is, again, as we said at the outset, we need a king who's able to circumcise our hearts and give us a new nature. Give us a new heart. There's only one king who's able to do that.
That's God's King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's able to give us a new heart because by nature our own hearts are desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Who can know them? Thank God for His power that gives us a new heart. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters.